today's program has been brought to you by Artisanal Imports, an importer of specialty beers from England, Germany, Belgium, and beyond. For more information, visit www.artisanalimports.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your host for tonight's episode and every episode. Um, so we're live every Monday night at 7.30 p.m. on HeritageRadio.org. You can also find us archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org as well as iTunes. That's right. And we air out in the back of Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick with a live studio audience that pays no attention to us at all through the class. <laughs> Busy eating and it's delicious. Here you should come. So that's true. It is delicious. <laughs> Roberta's Pizza. So let's start with a few announcements. So I think we mentioned this last time, but I'm teaching um, my first introduction to home brewing class at Brooklyn Kitchen on Thursday, April 11th at 6 p.m. Um, it starts. Well, it's like I said, it starts at 6 p.m. and it goes for around two hours, two and a half hours. It's 145 dollars, and that gets you the full instruction. Plus, um, they serve some samples of beer, and you get a full kit, home brewing kit, so that you can start brewing as soon as you get home. That's awesome. Um, if for how, how much is a kit generally at Brooklyn Homebrew? Do you know? It says it's an eighty dollar value. That's cool. So yeah, so it's a pretty good deal. Um, and if you just go to Brooklyn Kitchen website to their classes, you can find it on there. So. If you're interested in learning to homebrew, you've never done it before, maybe you've done it and you need some more encouragement, I would invite you to join me on April 11th at Brooklyn Kitchen. Uh, the next announcement is Brooklyn Homebrew has a brand new Pro Brew Kit. It's their Captain Lawrence Brewing Company's Liquid Gold Clone. And um, they offer it in both partial mash and all grain. So I think that's pretty interesting. That's a great local brewery. That's a really delicious beer. So if you'd like to brew your very own version, head to Brooklyn Homebrew and pick up their kit. These kind of projects are really fun, I think, because you really get to know your own brewing process and what kind of, or what, or your brewing system and what kind of happens. So if you actually get a Captain Lawrence liquid gold in the bottle and then brew your own and, you know, taste the difference, you can see what kind of things are going on in your brew house and you can make the proper adjustments to, to make that happen. Absolutely. And it's also maybe um, if you like brewing pale ales or stouts or porters and you've, you've never, maybe never done a Belgian or um, you're just getting into Belgians, this might be a good introduction to them. Um, and you might learn some some new techniques and materials. New techniques and materials. I'm excited about our project that <laughs> we did right. recently. We did a sour kettle match. I think we talked a lot about it last week. Yep. But if you are in town in the beginning of April, we will be launching our Berliner Weiss, the Pillow Talk Series Number 1 at 508 Gastrobury. Super excited about it. Yep. And we'll let you know that date when we come back. It's we're headed to CBC this week, so we're, we're... What's the CBC, Mary? Ah, Craft Brewers Conference. So Chris is going to represent 508 Gastro Brewing at the Craft Brewers Conference. It's basically, it's a professional conference for brewers um, and related industries. So importers, distributors, bar owners, uh, brew pubs, well, nano breweries, large breweries, everybody. Anybody in the professional beer scene, um, from writers to, to, uh, to, set, to retail, to, to wholesale, to, to buying, to making... Yep, yada, yada. and they have informational seminars about all kinds of things, from you know point of sale systems to sour brewing. Um, 
So both technical brewing and and, and you know more business type and if you're not in the, discussions and, and for breweries and planning too. If you're not in mm-hmm. uh, if you're not in the business yet and you would like to be learning more and you know helping start your business, they do a lot of seminars on that too. So if you yep. are thinking about starting one. Definitely, can, I mean, it's probably too late to, to go this week. It starts kind of the day after tomorrow. Tomorrow is the reception, um, our opening reception. Um, but think about it for next year and go and learn. Hi, Duran. How you doing? Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just real quick about the CBC. I went to the CBC for the first time about three years ago uh, when it was in Chicago. And uh, it was my first CBC. And it was just amazing seeing the camaraderie and the love in this in this beer scene and in the professional beer scene. It was just, it was just absolutely beautiful beautiful to see brothers in arms because we're still a very small part of the market and everybody's fighting the good fight for uh, for flavor yep and quality and there's also some really amazing after events going on at local bars which i'm excited about that's always a good place to mix with um some of the brewers as well make new friends anyway we're excited about that you know what I'm excited about? What? Today's episode. No, so what are we talking about today, Chris? Oh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was downstairs in 508 a few weeks back, or like actually I think in the first two weeks that I was working there, and uh, you know somebody came downstairs and like, hey, you know, this, there's this guy upstairs who used to, he used to brew beer at, at this place called Deschutes and wanted to say hello, and I was like, what? Deschutes? I love Deschutes. What's going on with that? And who is this guy? Came up and met, this, met our guest tonight, Joe Pedicini. How you doing, Joe? Very good, thanks. We want to get closer to the mic, and then we can all hear you. <laughs> yeah. <So>. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Petrosini now is uh, in the wine business uh, and, and has Monte Bruno wines. That's right, uh, out in Oregon. Out in yep. Oregon. Yep. Do you spend all of your time in Oregon? I don't, actually. I grew up here on the East Coast. I grew up in New Jersey and um, uh, moved out to Oregon in um, 1992 originally to um, uh, follow the passion that I had um, for brewing beer, actually. And... Uh, Started out uh, like a lot of us do as a home brewer, and uh, decided I wanted to make the leap as a uh, uh, professional brewer, and uh, traveled to the West Coast to um, try my luck in seeing if I get hired at, uh, at uh, some of my favorite breweries from out there. Um, and uh, uh, in uh, in doing so, I you know met a lot of great people, had had a lot of fun in the brewing industry, but also fell in love with Pinot Noir out there. That's awesome. So How long? Um, how long had you been homebrewing before before going out there? About uh, four years, actually. Four years. Yeah. And what got you started yeah. in homebrewing? We what? had a lot of uh, carboys and equipment lying around the house because uh, my grandparents and parents made wine uh, as a hobby, so uh, we had a lot of equipment available, and uh, I enjoyed the winemaking process. But I was uh, at that age where I was really interested in brewing, uh, interested in beer drinking, also, mm-hmm. obviously. But um, I. Um, I think it was because I took a trip um, out west and tasted something like uh, maybe some old uh, Pete's Wicked Ale or Sierra Nevada or something mm-hmm. like that, and uh, came back east and you couldn't find anything yep. like that. So uh, a lot of us back then decided to brew because uh, we were trying to sort of uh, capture a taste that wasn't available here on the east coast. Not mm-hmm. to date you, but what <laughs> year yeah. is back then? Well, it was the late 80s when I first started. It was the late 80s. That's yeah. awesome. That's a... Uh, the, the New York City Home Brewers Guild started around 1987, 1988, and we're That's celebrating right. our 25th year right now. And a lot of those people were brewing for the exact same reasons. You, know, you couldn't get a lot of these different beers, and you know that spawned this revolution. That the uh, the the uh, club used to have meetings at a place, um, Lower East Side, called Brewskies. Yep. Mm-hmm. That 
doesn't exist anymore. But uh, but we so. still meet by the, at the same place for the most part. Brewskis, uh, they were still meeting at Brewskis in, when I started in 2001, and then we moved. Uh, they took dip, went under a different ownership, turned Brewskis into a place called Standings. Now we're right next door, but yep. it's, you know since then it's still been in relatively the same. Same cool. spot. Yeah. And we still have our steering committee meetings actually at, every month or so at Standings. The artist formerly known as Bruce. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. It's a, it's a sort of a special spot. The the you know the, the linear mark is. Uh, were you yeah. part of the guild yeah. at that time? Did I was not. Out? I was no. not. We were just kind of. Uh, uh, we had stumbled into the place because um, you know going back again to this time when uh, you know Beck's Dark was sort of an exotic beer back then. You know? <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, uh, Brewski's at the time had the entire lineup of Anchor Steam beers. Whoa! I that's mean, Liberty, uh, the the wheat, the Foghorn, that's all a, the time. That's impressive. Really? Yeah, that yeah. is impressive. That's amazing. And, uh, and it was all really fresh and delicious, and we we didn't really understand what was going on because you couldn't find those beers in other places <laughs> in town. But Brewski's had them, and so you know, it, it was sort of we found it. I, I guess luck or some sort of a magnetic reaction or something like that. <laughs> and where did you get your homebrew supplies back then? Um, Milan Labs, um, which was in uh, downtown New York. I don't even remember. I think it was on Canal Street or something. I don't remember. Yep, but, I've uh, heard of it. Yeah. I wonder when that closed. I don't know. It was a fun place to visit. It was kind of, uh, you know, uh, they had their own way of organizing things. So, you know, it took a little while to find things. Uh, <laughs> but... What did you like to brew when you were brewing before before moving out west? And did you go out when you went out west? Did you bring a bunch of your home brew to in in hopes of you know taking that as samples to try and get a job in the industry? Well, I did, and I also, um, you know, I did a lot of research and I did a lot of experimentation with brewing and with uh, trying to grow my own yeast cultures and things like that. So I, by the time I was ready to dive in, I was you know pretty knowledgeable, and there were a lot of folks that were starting out in the industry and they kind of wanted to go the route of. You know, getting in and maybe washing kegs for a little while, and then tr- sort of advancing into the brew house. But I really had my, you know, sights set on getting into the brew house. So I, I did as much um, preparation as I could, and uh, I did an internship here at um, uh, a place at the time called Zip City. Yep. That was a really neat little, um, little Austrian brew house with a double decoction mash tun. And oh. Wow. Now, who who did, was the brewer there? A guy named Bob Berg. Okay. And. Um, so he Not had the actually saxophonist Bob Berg. No, no, a different <laughs> one, a different one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bob may have played sax too, I don't know. but he uh, he had just gotten back from Siebel, um and was classmates with some folks that were out west. Um, so, you know, I I had done this internship with Bob, and I was able to kind of uh, you know drop some names while I was out there, and um, so a lot of trial and error, and I found I wound up, um, uh, you know. I, I, I really kind of zeroed in on Deschutes because I, I love the area. Central Oregon is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah, it is. And uh, I really like the beers also very much at the time. Yeah. The, the um, Sort of that, that, you asked about what styles we were making. I mean, that, that sort of Northwestern um, Cascade-influenced pale ale was, you know, mm-hmm. especially at the time, it was something really special. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We absolutely take that for granted these days, but uh, yeah. but uh, you know, yeah. Sierra Nevada is still you know just amazing. Although I think now, though, with all the hops, like we're dr- we're drinking this Eastern Standard, which I find kind of juicy in this tropical fruit yes. way. Yes. Um, it's del- absolutely delicious from Peaksco Brewery uh, with the uh, brewmaster Jeff O'Neill up there, and it's it's probably my I don't know, I think it's become my favorite East Coast IPA. We just 
it just came to New York City a few weeks ago, I think, somewhere right around New York Craft Beer Week. Yeah. And it's absolutely delicious. But now, I mean, we have these IPAs made with Nelson Sovin hops and Sriracha Ace and all these other kind of more exotic hops. Or yeah. And so I think actually Cascade is pale, you know, pale ale with just Cascades. It's kind of back, becoming man. special it's again. Back. It's like a novel. <laughs> people have been doing all this experiment, and I think, you know, that's going to continue. But I think a lot, some people yeah. have gone back to their, their kind of American hop roots. So. I think so. I mean, there, there's so many um, uh, new varieties out there that just pack such a punch. And, yep. um, and have some interest, like uh, flavors that we haven't seen in hops before. Yes, yes. Um, so, which is one thing I'm excited about. Craft Brewers Conference, we always get to go see what new hop varieties are, are coming onto the market. Yeah, it's always exciting. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, a lot of these um, super high alpha hops that have these wonderful aromatics also that make it real easy for... Uh, you know, for making these IPAs that are popular and stuff like that. Yeah, and, that are really bitter. Yeah, or, or that have, uh, you know, in the old days it took a lot of hop flowers to, right. you know, get that kind of flou- <laughs> uh, flavor punch. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and I think that, uh, so a lot of these uh, new varieties are um, are fun to use for in the brew house, too, because they're a little bit less labor intensive. Yeah, that's true. So when you, so you were hired at Deschutes, how, what, how did that come about or what were you, what did you start as? How did I, you start there? I started in the brew house. It, it um, you know, they were um, in the process of uh, an expansion, and so they were taking um, uh, the, the the current brew house, which was actually the brew pub, and they were going to uh, that that I think had a uh, an eight barrel brew house that was being pushed to ten or twelve barrels or something like that, and they were um, bringing in a, a new JV Northwest uh, fifty barrel system oh, wow. across town. <laughs> so they had you know. Um, uh, you know, when I started there, basically ground had just been broken, and the, so they had started the long process of uh, starting the new brew house, and uh, they knew that they'd need a, a whole new brewing team and so forth. So they started looking and uh, interviewing people and so forth. Cool. And uh, basically, as good timing, and I got there, um, and uh, I felt really lucky because I was able to spend you know the first year there uh, mostly working in the brew house. Which was on a much smaller scale, right? The smaller, yeah. Before the expansion, the, yeah, the, the, the brew pub, the, the brew pub. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The yeah. eight barrel system. It was an eight barrel system, but we we had you know we were maxing it out so that we could uh, fill twelve know, barrel fermenters. We could we could meet the demand that, okay. that yeah. folks were looking for. Yeah. So like, yeah. So like even the kettle was you know pushed as high as it could go. And right. Yeah. We were sort of doing the best we could to uh, to get the beer out to these markets up in Portland and Seattle that were just dying for it and couldn't yeah. get enough. That's awesome. We're going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about your experience there and how that transferred over to wine and the love of Pinot Noir.
Artisanal Imports is an importer of specialty beers from England, Germany, Belgium, and beyond. Their portfolio of fine ales and lagers is broad and represents a wide range of beer styles. But it is not their mission to collect every small brewery across Europe. They believe in working in full partnership with their breweries and are careful to select beers that are high quality and interesting, but that do not overlap one to the next. For more information, visit www.artisanalimports.com. Hey, welcome back to Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're here with our special guest, Joe Pedersini of Monte Bruno Wines. Hi, Joe. Hello there. <laughs> and we've been talking about how Joe started out homebrewing and then in Jersey and then moved out west, um, got a job at Deschutes That's right. when it was still just a brew pub before they built their production brewery. That's correct. How long were they uh, in, pr- in production at that uh, at the time that you joined 13 before they joined? I think they started in 86 or 87. 86. Yeah, they were, they were one of the early ones in Oregon, also. Yeah, yeah, that's. And what awesome. were the flagship beers that you guys were were brewing at the time? Are the, I don't. We yeah. don't even get Deschutes in New York, so yeah. I've had it yeah. when I go out west. Or I think you can get it, you know. And it's still a great beer. Here. Oh yeah, it's I mean, fantastic. Not that I had it back then, but I know that it's one of my yeah. favorites. Yeah, that's always one. When when I like I was in Vegas a couple months ago, and that was like that was a be- you know I had I made sure to have several Deschutes while I was out there because yeah. they really yeah. are great. Oh, they do a good job. They at the time it was uh, Black Butte Porter was their yeah. big mm-hmm. uh, yeah. sort of flagship beer, and um, we were doing uh, a few that unfortunately aren't in the uh, their repertoire anymore. They kind of grew out of them, and uh, you know those are the ones that I kind of uh, you know those are just memories, and those yeah. are the <laughs> real special ones. There was one called Bachelor Bitter that was uh, uh, just mostly on draft, just at the pub, and we had a um, a lot of fun playing around with that, especially in uh, cask format, and you know. Dry hopping the hell out of them. In the yes, way, yeah. That's awesome. I love that. And back then, man, not that many people were doing casks. I can't no, imagine. No, so, no, just a few, just a few. So it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. We were kind of, um, uh, uh, we were doing a lot of experimentation and really kind of uh, feeling, you know, like um, Chris had mentioned, being at the craft brewers conference and the feeling of camaraderie and uh, and sort of this uh, this sense of uh, sort of a fraternalness with with uh, uh, with. Uh, yeah. Brewers, and uh, it's really a wonderful thing that has been going on as far back as I can remember in the in the country here, and it still seems very strong. It still Absolutely. seems. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. People, um, you know, you uh, you're traveling through the country, and uh, you, you work in the brewing industry, and you stop by a brewery, and uh, uh, you know, say hi, and you're friendly. Pretty pretty soon, you're probably going to be uh, meeting some people that work there and making new friends, and uh, that's just how it goes. Yep. Absolutely, that's how we. That's how you're yeah. here. here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We've exactly. been quite to say hello. It's pretty awesome and pretty fun. And I can't wait to, to brew with you over there. I think we talked a little bit about doing a collaboration at that, some point. That'd be and fun. I would absolutely yeah. love to do yeah. that. Maybe we could do a bachelor bitter. Well, slightly <laughs> <laughs> tweak the name, maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, also, you were saying you wanted to experiment with some. Uh, Beers fermented or matured in, in oak and uh, absolutely yeah I have some uh, some barrels that are in good shape that I could uh, you know, pass I, along absolutely and, absolutely yeah. want to do that uh, and I'd absolutely also would like to use some Pinot Noir grapes what is the character mm-hmm. of Pinot Noir grapes well you know it varies but I, I, I've, I've never heard of anybody you know using using them in the brewing process uh, would you be using them um, I would want the fermentables, so I'd do okay. it like a portion, almost like a braggot, but on the wine side kind of okay. thing. And people have been starting to do that. We, uh, Mary and I, we tasted uh, beer, some beers from from Switzerland, or was it? Yes. Yeah, I think the other day. So uh, mm-hmm. some saisons, two saisons mm-hmm. that were both. It was both the same base saison. One of them fermented with 
with uh, white grapes, and uh, the other fermented with uh, I think Cabernet grapes or yeah, I can't Cabernet. remember the grape. I can't remember the exact grape, but, but it was they delicious. were both yeah, Interesting. It was cool. really yeah. awesome and really fun. And then Gar- I know Garrett Oliver over at Brooklyn Brewery has mm-hmm. been he does a lot of stuff with Red Hook Winery um, barrels, and also he's used their leaves. The leaves, too. you know, he leaves the leaves in leaves in there, and he's done yeah. I think some yeast experimentations with them too, mm-hmm. using some of their their yeast. So, you know, those are a couple that we can think of, but. Yeah, and I'd, I'd love to have fun doing all that. Stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there, there's, um, I think there's more places in, in the world than we realize where there's crossovers between the brewing and the and the winemaking uh, fields, and um, it, you know, uh, the the two just have a lot in common, and there's that same uh, sort of family quality that you have in the wine industry, also uh, with with uh, uh, people that uh, that can appreciate what you're doing because they do the same thing you know they're they're toiling in the cellars and or yeah. whether it's uh you know uh being a brewer and having to dig out the mash you, you know what it's like and you know what it's like to sort of um, uh, experiment with a new beer and worry about it as it's fermenting yeah. and stuff this is all stuff that you know the average folks don't really understand what we go through that's, yeah that's true um now speaking of i have been to some oregon wineries years ago um and I can remember hearing in some other, you know, what other wineries in other parts of the country, but I always hear that when they do harvest, that they always, you have beer as kind of the drink for, a, you know, their harvest drinks. Well, it's a, I, don't, I think it's almost like a cliche now, but it does take a lot of beer to make good wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of treats. <laughs> a lot of beer to make good wine. Here, here, here. So let's talk about how you move from brewing at Deschutes into wine making. Well, really, it was, uh, you know... Like I sort of touched on in the beginning, the um, my parents made wine at home, so there was um, it was sort of an important part of our annual sort of cycle of life, and so we uh, it was something that I had been exposed to from a very young age. So it was really uh, just as much of a part of who I am as as the the brewing side was. Right. And so I think it was just a function of um, uh, the 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 Pinot Noir that I found in Oregon was just something that really moved me. Mm-hmm. It, it's uh, you know we were talking a little bit about uh, Chris had asked you know what sort of flavor characteristic will Pinot, Pinot Noir possibly bring to a to a beer, and it's it's hard to say sort of what varietal characteristics Pinot Noir has. It does have sort of cherry and it does have some earthiness and maybe raspberry flavors, but but what what makes unique what makes Pinot Noir unique is that it it, it tastes of a place. Mm-hmm. So um, when it comes to Oregon and growing Pinot Noir in the Willamette Valley, it tastes of the Willamette Valley, and it's a, sort of a special place, and uh, that's that's what makes um, uh, that's what makes it sort of what it is, and that's why um, uh, when it comes to places like Burgundy, the grape grown there is Pinot Noir, and it's so sought after and so um, expensive because. Uh, it tastes of a really special place, and it's been grown there for so many hundreds of years that it really has the ability to sort of transport you to that place, no mm-hmm. matter where you are in the world drinking this wine. And uh, I feel that um, you know we have something. It, it, it's not the same, but it's still very exciting mm-hmm. in Oregon. And so that's something that uh, just kind of uh, grabbed a hold of me. Right, makes sense. Now, when did the wine industry in in the Willamette Valley kind mm-hmm. of come into its own I guess for lack of a better term well um, I mean it's probably it's been there for a while yeah some of the older vineyards that were planted in the mid and late 60s so yeah it's been around for quite a while and uh, it's kind of hard to say I think that uh, they they both kind of grew it around the same time there, there's a lot of um, uh, again that same sort of feeling of, of uh, um, camaraderie there was a lot of that going on um, 
uh, crossing over the boundaries of wine and beer and even um, food and, and uh, you know, sort of focus on uh, regional delicacies uh, in Oregon. That was all kind of happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the, the scene in general there right now is just amazing. Yeah. It was always really cool, but compared to what it was in 1992, it's really grown incredibly. Yeah. Uh, wonderful restaurants, wonderful culture, wonderful uh, wines, beers, and... Uh, you know, Spirits. There's a lot of distillers, micro-distillers in Portland. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and not to mention all of the great, uh, you know, mushroom producers and uh, great, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, vegetable growers, everything. Yeah. So lots of local... I've, I haven't been to Portland... Well, actually, the only time I've been to Portland was back in 2007. I mm-hmm. went to the Oregon Brewers Fest. But even back then, and then we, again, I think we were there for four days. Um, we hit a bunch of brewery and brew pubs um, on our first day and then did the Oregon Brewers Fest. But we, we actually, um, one of the last days, we, we did a wine country tour. Mm-hmm. So I think we hit a couple of breweries and then maybe three wineries. But it was absolutely amazing to see. We, we did go to some nice restaurants and... Um, yeah, it's an, it was an incredible scene then, and I know, you know, from what I read and hear about, it's even more so now. Yeah, so. it's. It, I mean, you can't travel very far in Oregon without hitting a good, interesting brewery. Yeah. Um, and uh, the restaurants are following right along. So. Yeah. Uh, there's there's this whole movement now um, with uh, um, the uh, area around Bend, Central Oregon, where there's. Um, uh, they're saying now that there's more breweries per capita in that region than there are in, uh, in Portland. Portland. <laughs> and Portland sort of started wow. it all. Yeah. yeah. Um, but a lot of these guys that are, you know, they, they worked in larger breweries for a while, and then they kind of spun off to do their own thing. Right. And they're doing, you know, a handful of barrels a year, but they're doing uh, really interesting, uh, time-consuming, high-quality, expensive beers. Yeah. But, and they're finding a market for them. It's really exciting. Yeah. And that was the other thing is when we were at um, – the Oregon Brewers Fest, we had a tons of IPAs, you know, mm-hmm. pale ale and IPA, very Northwest hoppy pale ales and IPAs. And there weren't actually, at that time, there weren't a whole lot of other styles. But when we were going around town, we actually went to Hair the Dog had an open house that mm-hmm. same day. We went there. That was absolutely incredible. I mean, Alan's been doing, you know, unusual barrel-aged and, and you know, not IPA styles for a long time. I mean, he does yeah, a very yeah. good pale ale as well. But, um, but now, reading, I mean, there's Cascade. There's a lot of people doing some very kind of cutting-edge experimental stuff out there. I know there's other ones that are just not coming to mind right now, but that's pretty exciting. Um, And that was exemplified also when we went to the National Homebrew Conference last year, too. Oh, yeah, Uh, in Seattle. We were expecting to see a lot of, uh, you know, high-octane IPAs from Northwest, and and, uh, it was actually a well-rounded diversity of... Yeah, both for club night and pro pro night. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of cl- a lot of the clubs, I mean, there were a lot of local Washington clubs, but a lot of the clubs had come up from Oregon, Central Oregon, Western Oregon, and that actually that was club night was absolutely so club night at the National Homebrewers Conference is just where each club has a booth and serves you know anywhere between sure. like eight and eight and forty two beers. I mean, it gets it's a beer festival that's yeah. by the fans for the fans, and, and we I mean, yeah, and they don't have to deal with you know sort of. Uh, um, market needs no, and wants exactly. so they just do what they like yes. and it's a lot of fun yeah, yeah. yeah. we actually really had some mushroom beer yeah, yeah i think we had shiitake mushroom beer maybe we had a smoked it- apple blonde that was made it was just a traditional blonde that but the guy had smoked apples and then added the smoked apples at the end of of his uh boil and it was delicious but you know things like that that the mountain dew you would never beer. see it's pretty interesting yes <laughs> 
Twenty percent Mountain. That Dew. was at the um, the Big Lebowski booth. <laughs> there was a club that had a Big Lebowski theme, so. Got to um, wear your bathrobe, I guess. Yeah. Oh, so, there, yes, definitely. <laughs> real quick, because uh, we're, we're actually running out of time. This is part one of two episodes, and today we're talking more about Joe's uh, Joe's bear bear life. And but we, mm-hmm. before we officially leave, when did you leave, and uh, how did you start Monte Bruno? Oh, so uh, I had uh, moved back to the East Coast and spent some time out here. I um, uh, decided that I wanted to um, uh, produce Pinot Noir. Uh, started doing some experimenting. Uh, long story short, I, my first commercial vintage was 2003. 2003. Yeah. Mm. That's pretty fun. Yeah. And you've been doing it since, and it's going well. It's going really it's well. It's delicious. Yeah. We hit, we were at, uh, at a, a natural a, wine tasting. A natural wine tasting, and, uh, and your your yours were awesome. Yeah, actually, they were one of our favorite for sure. Absolutely. Oh, thank so. you so much. I mean, we're uh, we're really excited about again, like what what Oregon gives us. Uh, you know, the gift from uh, from Mother Nature and Oregon is really something special. Yeah. So that is it for today's show. Tune in next Monday, April 1st, for part two with Joe. We're going to talk more about, you know, what, about his entry, forays, entry into winemaking, kind of about winemaking, because Chris and I don't know much about it, and we're betting if you're a home brewer, you don't either. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk more about making wine, and then... What natural wine is. Yep. And all that. Fermentation vessels, temperatures, la la la. So join us again at 7 (laughs) p.m. Monday, April 1st, for part two. On Fermentation. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.